The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 107 of the podcast or you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, September the 9th and we are fresh off of one of the best cards in recent memory that unfortunately I think a lot of people didn't get to see. Before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host all the way from rainy and cold New Jersey, Jeff. The Animal Wilson. Jeff, I just saw you like last week, but because we haven't done this show in a couple of weeks, it feels like I haven't talked to you in forever because we didn't have this kind of weekly connection. But how, how are things going up there uh, besides being uh, rainy and dreary there up in the Garden State, my friend? Bill, it, I'll take the rain and dreariness because Wednesday and Thursday was obscenely hot. It was triple digits. We started school and my school district, at least, and a lot of districts in New Jersey, Wednesday and Thursday were called half days because I didn't want the kids to be in the heat all day. And not every school is air conditioned because for those of you who don't know, a lot of schools are old buildings, like old factories and things like that. So they don't have these uh, like central AC and stuff because they're such old buildings. But Bill, things are starting to cool down. But uh, it was pretty hot last night on this card, dude. A bunch of finishes, super exciting. But Bill, I think the biggest news of this card was Nico Montano not showing up. So Bill, I heard a couple of things like uh, the UFC wanted her to dress up in like the Native American uh, headdress and she felt a little insulted. So I heard that this whole health thing was a, a big fiasco. But Bill, what do you think? What do you think happened here? Um, did they give the headdress to Jessica Andrade instead? Uh, <laughs> because she, she didn't come out wearing one of those. I, I didn't hear any of that. Uh, she, the statement she released said that her kidneys shut down uh, while she was cutting weight, and it's never happened to her before. Uh, unfortunately, she had gained a lot of bad press earlier in the year uh, when some media outlets had reported that the UFC was unhappy with her for not defending her title, even though she said that she had been in communication with the UFC and that they understood she had some health issues going on uh, ever since winning that title. But it's never a good look when you're not you're not bringing in money for the company, uh, you're not endorsing anything, and you're not fighting, you're not competing. Uh, especially for such a young competitor who, who's coming off, you know, a failing TV series in the ultimate fighter, the ratings have been going down and down and, uh, hopefully they find a way to rejuvenate it because you and I are, are both still fans of this platform of the ultimate fighter. And, uh, as far as, as far as we know, it's going to continue, uh, with the ESPN deal, uh, as per Dana White, uh, and the last, the, the most recent season kicked off this week. In any case, Nico Montano, unfortunately, stripped. I, I don't think it moved the needle either way for this pay-per-view. I, I don't think whatever the number turns out to be, I would estimate somewhere between 100 and 150,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, and that that may be generous. <laughs> you know, it may be doing less than that because, I've, as I was saying last week, this is the last pay-per-view before... Uh, Conor McGregor's comeback in what they're calling the biggest fight in MMA history against Khabib Nurmagomedov on October 6th. So I feel like a lot of people weren't going to shell out the money for this one uh, either way. Uh, it, it's a bummer for Valentina Shevchenko, who did make weight and, and was ready to compete. I imagine that the UFC is going to have her fight someone else for uh, a vacant title now that Montano has been stripped. I, I don't know. Do you have any other input on this issue here, Jeff, or do you, do you disagree? Do you think it would have moved the needle if this fight was on? 
Uh, well, Bill, I'll be honest with you. For me personally, I would have liked to see uh, Valentina Shevchenko in there. Uh, Nico Montano, you know, as unpopular as she is, she is a good fighter. She's very well-rounded, and I would have loved to see these two get it on because they're both really well-rounded. But, Bill, now that the championship has been vacated uh it came out a few days ago that nico is getting stripped so bill obviously one half of this equation is valentina shevchenko in there for the vacated belt but who who do you put in there against her what do you think bill uh it's hard to say i mean my my gut i would like to see Joanna move up to 125 however they have fought a couple of times already and the result didn't vary very much uh Joanna didn't do so well against Valentina. Uh, I, I believe they've fought in, in Muay Thai. Um, it, it's tough because you have a division that's, you know, pretty new. And you have a lot of women who are kind of on the cusp of, of the division below and the division above. Uh, I think it's the perfect division for Jessica Andrade, but after the statement she made last night against Karolina Kovokovic, I don't see her straying away from straw weight. Uh, it, it's... It's really hard to say. Um, maybe Claudia Gadalia moves up uh, because, you know, she's been having a hard time down at, at straw weight. I don't know if she struggles to make weight or not, but, you know, she seems pretty muscular to me. So her and Valentina might be good for that belt. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I am of the opinion that it would be awesome if uh, – what's her name? Uh, I just blanked on it. You just said her name. Uh, this former, oh, Joanna, not the champion. <laughs> I, I would love for her to move up to 125 and fight Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, I think that's a real treat for a lot of UFC fans. Um, because other than that, I can't think of too many flyweights. I mean, maybe Sujara Eubanks, uh, but she struggles really bad to make weight. Uh, and that's why she didn't fight Nico uh, for the finale of that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a few options here. But for me, the one that stands out the most is either uh, Joanna Not the Champion versus Valentina or Claudia Gadoja against uh, either Valentina or Joanna. I think those three in there have like a really good uh, chemistry, and I think that their matchups against each other are awesome. So I think that's a real treat for anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a blank slate now. You could even do a tournament in this division if you wanted to. I don't know if we have enough names to throw in the hat for that, but uh, I imagine it's just going to be Valentina Shevchenko against somebody for the vacated title in any case a title that's not vacant and that was reclaimed by the champ last night tyron woodley against darren till jeff i texted you earlier in the week and i told the listeners last week i don't really see what darren till could have brought to the table here besides a puncher's chance tyron woodley is just so well-rounded his fight iq is so high um and he lost a lot of credit for that in his last couple of performances, but you know, he did win the fights and he, he was in there against really tough competition. So he comes back from a long layoff and just demolishes Darren Till, makes him look like he doesn't even belong in the cage with him. And he walked away with his championship intact and he walked away with his black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu after submitting a very tough and very large opponent in Darren Till. I, I was saying last week, and a lot of the narrative this week has been uh, that, you know, the size difference isn't that much, that Till is only three inches taller. They have the same reach and the same leg reach. But in there, in that cage, uh, Darren Till looked like a middleweight standing across from Tyron Woodley. And, uh, you know, Woodley didn't bat an eye. He went to work and he did what he had to do. Uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Bill, I'm not going to lie to you. I had a couple of moments of doubt for Tyron Woodley because, uh, they, you know, Darren Till had been hyped up so much and um, they had him doing a bunch of interviews. And even in the previews for this fight, it kind of looked like the media was siding with Tyron with uh, I'm sorry, with Darren Till. So I did have my doubts, but Bill, listening to the episode last week, and unfortunately, I couldn't make it. I When you texted me, I was sound asleep. It was my first day of work, and after two months off, Bill, I wasn't used to it yet. Yeah, 
Uh, I know the listeners were were clamoring for for more of the animal last week. I, I almost lost my voice towards the end of that. I hadn't done a solo episode in a long time. Uh, yeah, but I, and you know, I, this is pretty much exactly how I saw this fight going. You know, Tyron Woodley has faced a lot of southpaws uh, in the past, as I said last week, and I saw him circling to Darren Till's weak side, which is what he did. Uh, he snatched up the single leg a couple of times, but not really to finish the takedown, just to get in Darren Till's head that he could take him down and that he was going to try. He was super aggressive. He held him up against the fence. He got the blood flowing in his arms. Uh, he, he wore him down quick, and then he exploded in uh, for that big punch and put him down. And then he damn near elbowed his fucking scalp off while he was on the ground it looked like there was a clean break in Darren Till's hairline of just blood. And I was waiting for his entire head of hair to just fall off uh, like some kind of like gruesome scalping. And then he slips in a very sneaky dark choke, with Darth choke which was not defended at all. And, uh, you know, he gets his black belt for essentially submitting what I would presume is a white belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, in Darren Till. Um, I, I think he has great takedown defense and just wasn't planning on being in that position. And he, he wanted to ride his his one trick uh, in, into victory and into championship. And Tyron Woodley wasn't having it. So uh, any other thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Uh, Tyron Woodley just so well-rounded. And like I was saying, after listening to what you were saying last week, in uh, last week's solo episode, you know, you started changing my mind because I forgot how well-rounded Tyron Woodley is. And, you know, his first couple of victories in MMA were all submissions. Uh, obviously, he was a high-level wrestler in college, and he brought that to the table against Darren Till. And I think that Till is an opponent who kind of brought out that aggression out of him because, obviously, Woodley knew that if Till landed a clean shot on him, he could end the fight. And I think that's probably why uh, his previous two title defenses were kind of boring because obviously Demian Maya isn't someone who's going to finish him with strikes or on the feet. Uh, so Tyron Woodley kept it standing more. And against Stephen Thompson, he was just so hesitant that Tyron Woodley didn't uh, get to use his style of being backed up against the cage and loading up that right hand. So, you know, Woodley, awesome. I think he was just phenomenal in there. And I want to see more of this. I want to see him come out aggressively because even when he was getting backed up, that's when uh, Woodley was able to read Darren Till, land that right hand that dropped him, and then from there take over. So I want Woodley to be a little bit more aggressive because he is a really, really good fighter. Yeah. I mean, it's really going to depend who he's in there with. Um, you know, the, the way to fight a Muay Thai striker is to swarm them because a lot of their game is based on using the space between them and their opponent. And they're typically slow starters. I know Darren Till uh, has been aggressive in past fights, but for the most part, Muay Thai strikers are, are very slow to start in the first round. So uh, rushing them was a great tactic. And look, if this was a straight kickboxing match with no worries about a takedown, I would probably favor Darren Till, but you know Woodley did a great job of circling to the right side, snatching up that single leg to get in Darren Till's head about the takedown, holding him up against the cage, and then exploding with the punch after he had him thinking about all these other things that he could possibly do to him. It was a really fantastic uh, strategy by Woodley, and and uh, you know really poor uh, jujitsu defense by Darren Till. He's got to get himself some jujitsu. I know he was. He was rocked and everything, but um, you, you got to feel that that choke coming in, that big Tyron Woodley arm slipping around your neck uh, and locking up that choke uh, is not something that is really unnoticeable. Um, you know, they told him to train jujitsu, but I guess he didn't really care, Jeff. <laughs> I don't care. I don't really care. They told me to train jujitsu. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, so I I, I want to see Darren Till move up to middleweight after this fight. After seeing how big he is, I think there's some awesome striking matchups for him in that division. And uh, that, that's what I want to see from him. I, I don't want to see him 
killing himself to try and make 170 pounds. And I don't want to worry about him making weight every time he's going to fight. Um, it's not drama for me. That's just annoying. Uh, and it's unprofessional. So uh, he's too big for this division. He needs to move up. And I think he'll do very well at middleweight, especially if you look at the top of the division. It's not very grappling heavy. I mean, there is Yoel Romero, but how long is he going to be around? Um, uh, Chris Weidman is, you know, great wrestler, but uh, I, I could see Darren Till avoiding him until he's not around anymore as well. And then, you know, you've got Gastelum and Whitaker. I think those are great matchups for Darren Till down the line. Uh, so I would like to see him bump up to that division. And as far as Tyron Woodley, uh, I think there's a lot of great challenges for him left at welterweight. I know he's looking for a big money fight. Um, I don't know if the Colby Covington fight has lost steam. I don't know if that's guaranteed to be next since Colby's interim belt was stripped. Uh, and a lot of things that, um, something that a lot of people don't understand, including the fighters is that the interim belts don't really mean anything. They're just used for marketing. You know, they want to, they want to put, some gold on the TV so people will want to watch. And that's the only thing those interim belts stand for. And that's why they're able to take them away so quickly. Uh, and it's unfortunate that a lot of the fighters aren't aware of this. Uh, it's like they're not in on the joke. Um, in any case, I do imagine Colby Covington will be next. I know Tyron wants GSP, but, uh, you know, let's face the facts. GSP is not going to get out of bed for this fight. It's just not going to do big numbers, especially after the numbers of this pay-per-view come out. Uh, it doesn't matter that Tyron Woodley got himself a highlight reel finish. Um, you, you know, after his last couple of performances, he's still not going to be a big draw. Uh, GSP will always draw, but, you know, he needs a dance partner that's going to, uh, you know, at least bring a few butts in the seats as well. In any case, awesome performance by Tyron Woodley, one of the best in recent memory. So maybe it's Colby Covington. Um, you know, there's some other great matchups for him there. I'd love to see him in RDA. I think that's a really interesting fight. Um, uh, I would love to see how Tyron approaches that one, especially how we've seen uh, his fight IQ evolve as a champion. Uh, any other thoughts on this main event, Jeff? No, I was just going to agree with you on the RDA matchup. I think that one's really good. But, Bill, speaking of matchups, I didn't expect this to go down the way it did. It was the co-main event women's strawweight Jessica Andrade versus Karolina Kovokovic. Bill, I was expecting a grind game here, so I kind of closed my eyes for a minute because I was lying down watching this, and I was pretty tired. This fight was on at about 11, 11.30, mm -hmm. and next thing I know, I see the ref pulling Jessica Andrade away from Karolina Kovokovic's corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, yeah. Bill, talk to me th through what happened because I'm still in utter shock about this. I, I'm on the same page as you, Jeff. I, when I thought about this fight, I thought it would be Karolina Kovokovic outpointing Jessica Andrade from the outside or Jessica Andrade taking Kovokovic down and battering her. So Karolina is coming into this fight with really high takedown percentage. I think it's something like 87%. So now a lot of people have been able to get her to the mat, but uh, turns out that wasn't a problem. Jessica Andrade blasted her with a shot that rocked her head back and forth three times before it bounced off the canvas. Uh, she put her out cold. You do not see knockouts like this in women's MMA, especially in the straw weight division. Um, these, these women just don't have the kind of knockout power at this size. Uh, you know, at, when you're getting up to the featherweights and even the bantamweight, sometimes you'll see some pretty nasty knockouts, but I can't remember a knockout so vicious uh, in women's MMA. Uh, I'm sure there have been maybe Chris Cyborg, um, you know, Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm come to mind. Um, maybe Ronda knocking out Betch Cohea, but this one was like scary, brutal. Like it looked like, there was damage being done to Carolina's spine on the way down. Um, so, yeah, it was it was nasty. Yeah, Bill, I think that 
if this were a Mortal Kombat video game, that would have been a fatality, dude. I mean, <laughs> oh man, just the way Carolina went down, it, it looked like something out of a video game. Like, oh man, that punch was like out of, you know, Mike Tyson's playbook. I mean, I saw the replays and it just, it wasn't friendly. And, you know, Jessica Andrade was looking pretty jacked, man. Her biceps looked huge. Um, you know, I don't want to say that something that's not true, but, you know, I, I don't know how she got that big quickly. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, she's always had a big frame. She mm. fought at 135 in the past, and she was just slightly too small for that division. But she does carry a lot of muscle, significantly more than any of the other women uh, in that division. But, um uh, she made a statement, man, uh, and she wants Rose, and uh, I'm not opposed to it. And I think it's a tough matchup for Rose Namajunas because it, it's an aggressive style of, of striking uh, that she's not really used to, and um, you know her ground game is nasty. I mean, she's high level, really high level grappler, but she's not looking to submit you on the ground. She's looking to pound the fuck out of you, much like uh, Khabib's style um in any case jeff nike got a lot of attention in the news last week but colin kaepernick is not the only person making people cringe by taking a knee zabit <laughs> uh, <laughs> agamem sharipov one of two nasty knee bars on the night against brandon davis the late replacement for yair rodriguez uh this was just a really painful looking submission. And what I call it is a trash compactor knee bar. So a trash compactor is basically, um, you know, you take your opponent's neck and, and try to crush it to their ankles, basically fold them in half until they submit. So what Zabit did was he was on Brandon Davis, Davis's back. Davis stands up and Zabit reaches underneath his ankle pulls his ankle to his ear and somehow keeps control of his back and hips in causing a really nasty uh, amount of pressure on the knee of Brandon Davis. And this was the second submission, the, the very same submission we saw uh, in the same night. Aljamain Sterling did it to Cody Stamen uh, in the same round, just a couple of fights earlier. And these are two guys who come from very similar uh, jiu-jitsu pedigrees. So uh, both of them are from the Henzo Gracie lineage. Zabit trains under Hikaru Almeida, who is a black belt under Henzo Gracie. And Aljamain Sterling trains under Matt Serra, who is also a black belt under Henzo Gracie. So uh, you got to think this is something that they're working, uh, you know, in, in that Henzo Gracie uh lineage there but man what a nasty end to a fight that was really impressive brandon davis hanging in there uh i think the beat was trying a little too hard to be flashy with his striking in the first round um but man once he decided to take this to the ground uh this was a very clear mismatch so what were your thoughts on this and the two as i'm calling them trash compactor knee bars uh on the night jeff well, I think that I think uh, that's a good name for them because that's basically what was happening to both of these guys. They were getting folded up, man. And uh, I thought that Brandon Davis actually did a good job of being in Magomed Shapirov's face. I thought he was unafraid, you know, despite taking this fight on short notice and despite all the hype behind Zabit, who we've talked about a lot on the show. He's a really well-rounded fighter and he's scary, man. And what Zabit did in that uh uh, knee bar was really interesting because his other foot went around Brandon Davis's free leg and kind of trapped that leg too. He had him stretched out like a like a black widow eating a mosquito. It was cool. Um, <laughs> but anyway, man, uh, just since we're already on the uh, on the subject with Aljamain Sterling, I felt like Aljamain Sterling's knee bar was more vicious and the beats was a little bit more technical in its setup, but Aljamain Sterling kind of bent, like took 
Cody Stamen down on his side, and it looked like there was some bad damage to the knee. It might he might have popped something in it. And um, with Zabit, it was more calculated, and you could see there there um, there was some damage to that hamstring, which I'm sure was killing Brandon Davis. But um, yeah, dude, those Hendo guys are tough, and especially out of New York, where you have uh, the Donaher Death Squad, and they work a lot on those leg locks. So it's awesome to see that transition from competitive jujitsu to MMA where it's not always uh, optimal to go for maybe a leg lock. Yeah. I would, um, I would like to hear from Brandon Davis and Cody Stamen to see what they felt in that situation. Because like you said, the, the only difference was with Zabit's submission, he was on his back and it looked like the pressure was more from folding Brandon Davis in half. It didn't seem like there was that, much pressure on the knee, although I'm sure it was bad. But with Aljo, he was on top of Cody Stamen. So Cody had all of Aljo's body weight coming down. Um, and Aljo's a big bantam weight. So that's a lot of weight to come crashing down uh, on your knee. And it looked like his leg was really torn up uh, once Aljo got off of him. Um, I don't know what's next for Zabit. I don't know if he just bypasses Yair and they're going to forget about that fight or if they make that fight happen, I don't really know. I think there's a lot of really exciting fights for him in that featherweight division, though. Um, maybe someone like uh, Andre Feely would be a fun fight. Um, I don't know. There, there's a lot to do there. Uh, Alderman Sterling, after his fight, I was hoping, because the smart thing for him to do would have been to call out Marlon Moraes for a rematch. That's what I was hoping he would do. What I knew he would do and what he wound up doing was call out Dominic Cruz. And that fight's just not going to happen. Dominic Cruz is not acknowledging his call outs. Dominic Cruz isn't getting off the couch for anyone but TJ Dillashaw at this point. And uh, I feel like that's the fight that may happen if Dillashaw doesn't end up fighting Henry Cejudo. Marlon Rice is probably the more deserving contender, but you know, as we well know, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, so Aljo calling out Dominic Cruz, I wish he would have used that breath to call out Marlon Marais for a rematch. I think that would have gotten him a little farther. But anyway, let's move back up to uh, towards the top of the card. We'll skip over Jimmy Rivera and John Dodson because that was one of the only terrible fights on the card. The most impactful blow was when Jimmy Rivera kicked John Dodson in the balls. Um, this fight was not entertaining at all, but Jimmy Rivera back in the win column. So after being knocked out by Marlon Marais and having his 20 fight win streak snapped. So good for him. Uh, then the fight that I told everybody last week to keep your eyes on. And if you listen to my advice, you didn't have your eyes on it for very long. And that's Abdul Razak Al Hassan and Nico price, man, what a nasty knockout this was. And just, crazy combination that put Nico price down and was it a flash knockout? Maybe could he have recovered? Uh, not likely. I mean, he is a super tough guy, but man, he put him down real hard. Um, this was just a nasty knockout. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Nico Price went down like a rock. And if you blinked, you definitely missed this one because Al Hassan and Nico Price both came out super aggressive, swinging like crazy. And Nico Price got caught, man. Uh, Al Hassan, he said it in uh, an interview afterwards that he's just been blessed with power. And, Bill, I was pretty shocked. I thought that Nico Price, after that, uh, crazy knockout. I forgot who it was, but where he was on the bottom and he was throwing hammer fists. I forgot who that was against, but I thought maybe he kind of had an advantage going into this one. Bill, boy, was I wrong because Al Hassan annihilated him in under a minute in that first round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that nasty knockout was against Randy Brown, and it was it was uh, really creative, and you. When you think of Nico Price, you think of really creative fighter, a guy who just finds a way to win. He's like Tom Brady, you know, if you like football analogies. You know, Tom Brady uh, always won championships no matter who was around him, it seemed like. Um, but, yeah, what a knockout. And then the fight right before that, I think 
was probably the worst beating we've ever seen in women's MMA. And that was Tatiana Suarez over Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza got off maybe three or four hard shots in that fight, but this was just uh, two rounds and four and a half minutes of an utter thrashing that was that was even hard to watch at some point. It looked like Carla Esparza's cheekbone was broken in the first round. She had a huge hematoma above her left eye. And then next to her eye, she had something else going on. It looked like she was hatching an alien out of her face. Uh, it was a gruesome beating. And going into this fight, I, I had a feeling it wasn't going to go well for Esparza. Um, I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I don't think anybody could have predicted uh, the level of destruction that took place in this women's strawweight competition. And Tatiana Suarez really showing off her wrestling credentials taking down Carla Esparza, who is known to be one of the best wrestlers in the division, and Tatiana Suarez made it look easy. She Her, her takedowns were beautiful. She chained together uh, takedowns uh, seamlessly and was able to get Carla down, and then once she did, man, what a fucking beating this was. What, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, this was hard to watch, man. I'm a fan of Carla Esparza, and she got annihilated in there, man. That first round, probably easily a 10-8 round for Tatiana Suarez. And um, the second round, we saw a little bit more life out of Carla Esparza. She was uh, kind of bouncing up, able to escape Suarez a little bit. But in that third round, it was to no avail, man. Um, like I said, super scary. Tatiana Suarez looked like the female Khabib Nurmagomedov in there, man. Uh, that, that reminded me of um, when Khabib beat uh, Michael Johnson. So super great performance from Suarez. Uh, she looked dangerous in there. Um, dude, uh, what do you think is next for Suarez? Because I think she's thrown her name in the hat as a contender. Yeah, after this performance, beating the former champion the way she did, um, I, I'd say definitely. The, the only problem is Jessica Andraj uh, getting the fight of the night bonus or the uh, performance of the night bonus with her knockout uh, in the co-main event slot. So she's going to have to get at least behind her in line. I think she's going to need one or two fights before she's fighting for the title. But um, I don't want to get too ambitious here, but I, I see this woman as a champion at some point. Um, just... The way she puts her takedowns together, I don't see anybody being able to stop them in this division. And then once she gets you down, it's a nightmare. Um, so we'll switch over. We'll skip over Aljamain and Cody Stamen because we already went over that. So hometown boy Jeff Neal with a nasty head kick knockout over Frank Camacho. And he lit him up with a combination. It looked like he unloaded everything he had in him up against the cage and Frank Camacho said, come on. And it looked like Neil had kind of blown his wad a little bit. And then he just unleashes this head kick that puts Frank Camacho unconscious. And this is a finish like in the middle of a really exciting card of finishes that, um, you know, hopefully doesn't get lost uh, in the tidal wave that this card was, but Man, what a performance by Jeff Neal. He gets a show off, get a highlight reel finish in front of his hometown crowd. Um, and this was another one of those knockouts that was scary, that you just you felt bad for Frank Camacho as soon as it happened because you just know there was some serious damage done there. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Bill, Camacho was looking okay. And, you know, Neal threw kind of like a question mark kick where it came up really weird and Camacho kind of uh, like bent down into it thinking it would maybe be a body kick. And once hit that kick connected against his skull, he went down right away and Jeff Neal 
didn't jump on him. I think he knew that he had that KO. Uh, this was a really back and forth fight up until that point, though. I was thinking that we were heading into, you know, uh, a third round decision. But Jeff Neal threw that theory out the window, man. This was a really fun fight. And like you said, uh, I hope it stands out, too, because there were so many finishes on this card. So super exciting. And, dude, uh, I can't wait to see what's next for Jeff Neal in this welterweight division. Yeah, for sure. He's a really exciting striker. So hopefully they give him somebody who is going to let him showcase that a little bit more uh, before you get into all the grapplers um, that are just circling the shark tank at the top of this division. All right, so usually, Jeff, what I do is just kind of rattle off a couple of fights and tell you what stands out. But uh, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail, and I'm going to run down the rest of this card, and then you can tell me um, – you know what your thoughts kind of are so i'll start with darren stewart and charles bird this was a really incredible fight charles bird dominating the first round it looked like he was going to get darren stewart out of there like he may not have even answered the bell for the second round but not only did he answer it he comes out and punches and elbows charles bird into a dko uh, really impressive performance really impressive comeback by darren stewart then diego sanchez and craig white not a good night for anybody named White. Uh, Craig and Alex White back-to-back -back losses here by two really tough veterans. So Craig White says, I'm going to have a really nostalgic nickname like the Thundercat, and I'm going to paint my toenails red, and I'm going to kiss Diego Sanchez at the weigh-ins. And those are his priorities. And Diego Sanchez says, that's cute. I'm going to fold you in half like a cheap card table and beat the fuck out of you for 15 minutes. And that's exactly what he did. The beating he put on this kid was unreal. This was vintage Diego Sanchez. I guess he's been going through some personal problems and everything like that. We know he's had the drama with Jackson Wink uh, and, and Cowboy Cerrone and all this that's been in the news lately. But, man, what a performance by Diego Sanchez, who showed at 36 years of age and being the sole survivor of the first season of The Ultimate Fighter – he can still beat some ass, and he put it on that kid who's a good 10 years younger than him. Then we had Jim Miller coming out and blasting Alex White. Alex White, who says, I don't really watch much MMA, and Jim, Jim Miller says, that's cute. <laughs> Let me show you who I am, and puts this kid on his ass and chokes him out uh, in a minute and a half. And this was vintage Jim Miller, who has been battling uh, Lyme disease for the past couple of years, and if you know anybody who has Lyme disease, this is a debilitating injury that stops people or a debilitating sickness that, that stops people from doing their jobs. And not only did it stop Jim Miller from doing his job, he's still beating the fuck out of people after 30 UFC fights, a record-breaking 30th UFC fight for Jim Miller. Then the last one I'm going to give you, Jeff, and I'm throwing a lot at you at once. In a card that was stacked with finishes, with brutal knockouts, with unusual submissions. The fight of the night was a split decision between Irene Aldana and Lucy Putilava. Uh, these two girls stood toe-to-toe -to -toe and slung leather at each other's faces, and it was one of the most exciting fights I've seen in a long time. And that's where I'll cut it off on this card, Jeff. But uh, if you had to pick one of those fights that really stood out to you, uh, which one are you going with here? Oh, man, a lot of tough choices here, Bill. But if I, if you got to give me just one, uh, while I did enjoy all these fights, I think they were awesome. I got to go with Diego Sanchez versus Craig White, man, because Diego San Sanchez taught this kid a lesson. I mean, he went in there, never looked tired, and just annihilated this kid. Took him down whenever he wanted. And when he did take him down, he White was not getting up at all. So... I think Diego Sanchez gets it for me this time. Yeah, and even the, the that first takedown, Craig White had locked up a, a high arm, a high elbow guillotine, which the way he had it locked up finishes, uh, I don't know, 999 out of 1,000 people. And Diego Sanchez, again, is like, oh, a cute guillotine, and just slams him on his back. Craig White's throwing up kicks in his face and landing them. And Diego Sanchez just walking right through them and grunting as he's pounding this kid in the face. It was so savage. Uh, I, I don't really like to use that word, but um, 
it, I can't think of any other way to describe it. Like it was just a brutal beatdown, and um, I'm glad you picked that one. Is there a second? Is there a second choice? Because it, it seemed like you, you might have a few other opinions hiding away there. Yeah, Jim Miller versus Alex White is a really close second. I would give almost those two a tie, and then definitely go back and watch Irene Aldana versus Lucy uh, Padalova because th- uh, that was so back and forth. I, I didn't, I couldn't pick a winner in that one. Uh, but yeah, dude, all those fights you threw at me were awesome. So honestly, I think that if you didn't see this card, I would say go back and watch. All of the all the fights except for um, John Dodson and Jimmy Rivera. That fight was really really boring. Yeah, I'd say yeah. We'll watch everything except for that one. Uh, that was the one. That's the one to skip over. Uh, Jared Brooks and Roberto Sanchez, the, which was the curtain jerker on the night. Pretty okay fight back and forth. Split decision for Jared Brooks. Um, other than that, yeah, we we pretty much covered every single fight on here and. I'm impressed I'm able to remember as much as I do about these fights, Jeff, because uh, I had some friends over last night, and it, if people listen to this show, they know that I appreciate, you know, fine booze. So everyone who came over last night brought some booze with them. Uh, so my my buddy Jeff, who, who you've met and who's been on the podcast before, he brought over a really awesome cucumber IPA, which... I was very skeptical about. Uh, I'm not big on cucumber flavored things. Um, it doesn't really seem up my alley, but it, it's from the House of Beers here in Dunedin, Florida, and it was actually really good, really refreshing uh, IPA beer. And then uh, my buddy Matt and his badass wife Stacy came over. They both train at at uh, Gracie Clearwater with us. He brought. Um, a 10-year-old bourbon, Henry McKenna. I'm holding it up for the people on YouTube here. And the legend behind this bourbon, Jeff, is that this Irishman, Henry McKenna, who was a whiskey maker over in Ireland, and we know the Irish make, uh, you know, less, uh, more subtle whiskeys like your Jamesons and Tullamore Dew and Wolfhound and stuff like that that have the real vanilla flavors to it and kind of the, like the, that tinny taste because they're, they're distilled in steel. Uh, so Henry McKenna moves to the United States somewhere around Kentucky for some reason, and he falls in love with bourbon and he decides to take his Irish whiskey recipe and he's going to make bourbon out of it. And the way you do that is you age it in oak barrels. So not only did he make it a bourbon, he made it a bottled in bond bourbon. So, in order to be bottled and bond, and, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show, it has to, everything has to come from one distillery, so it all has to come from the same batch. What a lot of the bigger companies will do is they'll kind of mix, mix batches from different places to keep uh, flavors consistent. So it's got to come from one distillery. It's got to be stored in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years, and it's got to be bottled at 100 proof. Uh, so this whiskey, it's, it's super alcohol heavy on the nose, uh, because it's a hundred proof. Uh, but then the flavor just really hits you right off the bat. And it's got some awesome bourbon flavors to it. A lot of vanilla, uh, a lot of caramel, all, all the great uh, flavors that you look for in a bourbon. And, uh, I was sipping on this neat and then, Finally, we get to uh, who we call the penny loafer pummeler. Uh, Paul brought over a bottle of Macallan 18-year scotch. So Paul, big wine connoisseur, decided he wanted to uh, you know, get into some scotch. And as you can see, I'm holding up the bottle here on YouTube. As you can see here, we got into a lot of this scotch last night. Um, I mean, what can you say about McAllen? It's legendary scotch, and this is an 18-year-old bottle. So uh, it was um, it was a heavy night of booze, Jeff. I, I thought I was going to feel like Karolina Kovokovic waking up this morning, uh, <laughs> especially with the baby uh, waking me up early. But uh, baby slept in. I, I guess she knew uh, it was UFC night, so she went easy on, on old dad this morning. 
And uh, yeah, so that's that. And you and I had a couple of beers a few weeks ago, Jeff. So uh, you want to talk about any of your alcohol findings over the last couple of weeks since you've been uh, on the show? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we were at the beer spot, which we go to pretty frequently. Uh, well, you know, when we're together and, uh, I had a purple haze, which, uh, it's a, it's got a little bit of citrus at the end, but overall really refreshing. It was a hot day when we went. So that is definitely one of my go-tos on a hot day. And dude, I just want to give a shout out to Matt and Paul and Stacy and Jeff, who, uh, I had the, uh, pleasure of meeting while I was out there in Florida when I went to visit you guys and a shout out to Gracie Clearwater for having me over coach Jeff Bailey uh, coach Bill thank you guys for having me over it was a pleasure uh, I like you guys setup man I felt like I was in a Rocky movie it was awesome <laughs> powerful coach Bill just got his black belt shout out to him awesome awesome well deserved been doing jiu-jitsu a long ass time I gotta I gotta have him back on the podcast to tell the story of, of how he got into jujitsu. Um, I, I don't want to tell it cause I wouldn't do it justice at all. We got to have a, we got to have a repeat uh, of the pair of bills episode. Uh, go back and listen to that one. If you want to know who coach bill is, um, if you don't already, which you should. Uh, so in any case, moving on to Russia next week. Um, this is a card that I, I'm not really sure how to feel about. So fight night 136 is uh, taking place in Moscow. So the UFC has been talking about going to Russia forever and they've been building it up, building it up. Obviously they would have liked to have Khabib on this card, but that didn't happen. So now your main event is Mark Hunt and Alexi Olenek. Um, okay. I, I feel like, I feel like just because there was so much buildup to the UFC actually going to Russia that this one kind of falls flat a little bit. I don't know. Maybe you could change my mind, Jeff. What are your thoughts on this card? Uh, have you looked at it at all? Uh, Bill, this is my first time looking at the whole card. And uh, changing your mind on this one is a pretty tall order because uh, nothing really is standing out to me other than Andre Arlovsky is on the card against... I'm probably going to butcher this, and I'm sorry. Uh, Abdurakimov. Ab yep. Um, and that's about it, man. I don't. Uh, the Mark Hunt fight. I'll be honest with you, Bill. It's not super exciting to me. Um, it, it's a weird matchup against Allnick because Allnick, while he is a good grappler, Mark Hunt is has really good uh takedown defense and he's an awesome k1 striker uh you got cb dalloway on here uh who i oh, man i can't remember the last time he fought i haven't seen or heard of him in forever yeah um, and he's in there against artem frolov no relation to artem lobov uh <laughs> uh and that guy is 11 and 0 i don't know who he is but I can only imagine that CB Dalloway is being led to slaughter here in Russia. Um, not a great look for him. Uh, one fight I am looking forward to, Marab Devilishvali and Terion Ware. Uh, I think this could be a really exciting fight. So Marab, you may remember, got screwed in his last fight where he was, he was in a really deep choke and tap, and he didn't go unconscious, and the referee uh, called it in favor of his opponent after the fight ended. Um, so he didn't go unconscious. He didn't tap. The referee didn't stop it. The fight ends. And then Rob is declared the loser due to a guillotine choke. It was a really fucked up situation, but uh, really great fighter. Um, really solid skills. Good wrestler. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, Christoph Jotko is always fun. And he's fighting the undefeated Adam Yandiev. Uh, so that that could be an interesting fight, and then uh, Jan Blahovich in the uh, co-main event against Nikita Krylov. That that will be a very tactical fight, I feel like. But if you're into that sort of thing, this main event though, Mark Hunt and Alexi Olenek. The way people talk about Mark Hunt, you would think he has Alexi Olenek's record. Alexi Olenek, 56, 11, and one 
in MMA. Jeez. <laughs> but, I mean, he just doesn't give a fuck about his haircut. He's like, he's like bald on top and then he shaves his sideburns up like three inches. Um, I don't know why, but I, I wouldn't question it either. This guy's a bad motherfucker. Mark Hunt, who you think of as like one of the baddest ass heavyweights of all time is 13, 12 and one. You would think that he had Alexi Olenek's record, but I, I got to imagine Mark Hunt's a favorite uh, going into this one. He's really hard to take down. Um, and, and Olenek is not a striker. He'll, he'll be the first to tell you. He's a wrestler who, who fights in a cage, and he has some really slick, uh, unassuming submissions, like an Ezekiel choke while he's being mounted, which is obscene if you're a practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, any, any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Did I point out anything that you may have missed here? Yeah, I guess I guess you're changing my mind a little bit. Uh, I am excited for the Blakovich uh, fight versus uh, Nikita Krylov. That looks like it's going to be, like you said, a tactical battle here. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, we'll see. You know, this might be a sleeper card. Uh, I feel like there could be a potential for some really good fights here. Yeah, I think I would be more excited about this one if we were coming off a dud of a pay-per-view. I would be like, oh, well, maybe this fight night will be good. I don't know a lot of these guys, but that's usually a more excited car. But I feel like I'm good for a little while. Like, we had so much excitement. I can kind of ride the high from UFC 228 for a little while. Uh, In any case, Jeff, I think uh, we've gotten a little bit longer than usual. I know we had to catch up a little bit and – you know, we went we went deeper into this card than we usually do, just because there were so many great fights. We usually don't cover every single fight and, and break down every single fight, but uh, it, it was it was worth it this time. So, uh, anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weekends of MMA. Then we get uh, we have two weekends straight of MMA, then one weekend off, and then it's time for Nurmagomedov and McGregor to get it on. So, Bill, I think it's going to be a really exciting month of fights, man. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have been talking uh, about that fight for a while now, and um, you know that that's not my style. I don't I don't like. Uh looking too far ahead. I've never been that guy like, Oh, 29 days until I go on vacation or anything like that. I, I always kind of look at what's right in front of me. So I'm, I'm trying to, uh, trying to find some, some little, uh, golden fights here on this fight night, one thirty six coming up. And then, you know, we'll get into Khabib and Connor. Now there's plenty of time for that. Um, and it'll be fun once we do. So, I think that's all we got for this week. Uh, if you guys want to let us know what you're thinking and drinking on social media, you can get to Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks on all your favorite social media platforms or send me an email. MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. That's all we got until next week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Still live. I can't make any of my racist jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. <laughs>